Well, right before we started recording, our alarm system just went off randomly. I have no idea why. If you do hear that in the show, I apologize in advance. I could probably freak you out if you're listening in the car or at work. But if you hear just a large or a loud beeping noise, it's on my end, not yours. Apologize in advance. Well, welcome to How to Build a Tent, the podcast on how to make you successful. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the show, tagging a friend, subscribing. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I have just gotten such good feedback last couple of weeks and a lot of interaction on YouTube and on Minds and on the social media sites. And just even emails telling me about what you guys are doing, ideas you're thinking about, books that you're writing. It really means a lot to me. And let me tell you too, there's nothing better for me when I start talking about something that's totally God just leading because I'm not planning on talking about it and it's definitely more of a spiritual conversation topic. And then I get feedback from you guys like that was really that was really encouraging for you. That was really helpful or whatever it may be. I just love those times because I know it's not me at all. It's totally God working through me. And that is the best feeling in the world. There's it's like there's like times where you do things like in your flesh and like, oh, yeah, you know, I can help teach you something in Excel or teach you about financial statements or how to run a business. But then there's the times where like God uses you and you say things that you weren't planning on or you don't even realize like you thought this way about a topic or you didn't know that this was the thing to say and that like really impacts somebody and helps them and you know it was God. I love those times so much more. It's just sweeter, like it's more rewarding. It's a very strange thing, more evidence that God is for real at least uh, for the person that God is using, right? Uh, if you want to reach out, subscribe. You can click the links below. If you are watching this on some kind of medium that does not show you the links, you can find me on the social media sites, How to Build a Tent. I'd love it if you guys would subscribe. It really helps. appreciate it. And big shout out to all of the subscribers the past couple weeks. I don't know if it's the pint contest or not the contest, but the pint giveaway that the cross-politic guys are doing combined with the mug. Um, but if you put an HGBT in the memo field, you will get this mug like a lot of you have in the last couple weeks. That really is just a great thing. I was talking with Gabe. We were just catching up. It was funny. It was funny. We've known each other for so long. We, he, he thought I was in his wedding, but he was actually in my wedding. We were just reminiscing. Anyways, we were talking about just all of the feedback that the network as a whole has been getting individual shows have been getting and just when we go to places and people talk about how they listen to the show it's humbling it's a blessing it's an exciting time to see how god is working through this network and i just want to say thank you because this is because of you guys and because of your support coming alongside of us being a part of what the lord is doing by being a member you're getting tons of benefits there's so much stuff to that they're putting out and that's even like they're in a backlog state so they have stuff that's already produced they're just like waiting to get it out and they have to get you know it's just like they're trying to get it out as fast as they can um, so there's a lot of great benefits besides just supporting what we're trying to do here at the cross politic network if you want to email me you can email me at how to build a tent.com like i said i love love hearing from you guys so please reach out 
and just let me know like you know what you like about the show if you don't like something about the show or what you're doing in life what you're working on where you're at in your career that can help me with coming up with show topics and things to discuss as well and maybe there's something you want me to discuss i'd be more than happy to discuss if i'm able to i mean sometimes there's just things that i'm not an expert in and maybe i'll just bring on a guest still got to figure that out in this new place how we're going to work that uh, it shouldn't be too hard, but that's something I have yet to work out because I'm still trying to settle down. Still trying to settle in. Now, I read an article today, and I think we're going to talk about pretty much two things today. The first one is a Matt Walsh article I love. Matt Walsh. He's been on the Cross Politic channel. Uh, I mean, on the show and then on the Fight, Laugh, Feast channel. He was writing an article, and it's funny because sometimes he just like will lay in the digs just to lay in the digs. Kind of reminds me of Marcus, actually, uh, good old King Ginger. And he was talking about women's soccer, and his first dig was like, I don't really pay attention to soccer because I prefer actually watching sports or something to that effect. It was a really interesting article, and it has a good application for us today. But basically, he was breaking down how men's and women's soccer has become this example of the wage gap. And just like we've talked about many times before how the wage gap is impossible to be true in a public, um, sorry, in a private economy, in the private sector, it would be impossible to happen because the smart business people would hire all women and cut their costs by 20, 30% or whatever. They're saying the wage gap difference is. And then they cite this big statistic that we'll get to in a minute from the World Cup. But he starts by breaking down in the American League, the U.S. Soccer League. And he says that there's like in the last five to ten years from 2005 on, there's been 12 players that have made over a million dollars. Six of them have been men and the other six have been women. The top player for the men made 1.4 million. The top player for the women made 1.2 million. Now like $200,000, that's a big difference, but there can be many factors involved too, and besides just soccer. So there really isn't that crazy of a wage gap. And he starts talking about how even like when you go down to the top 10 players in the they're usually they're pretty much on par and even in some cases the women have been getting paid more for the higher level players on the teams and then he brings up the big statistic that everyone is citing and that it's funny it's like the democrat politicians talk about it and all these women's rights groups talk about it as like this example of the wage gap in america but this is from FIFA, which is not an American organization, right? It's the ones who are over the World Cup. Definitely not an American organization by any means. And he talks about how the men were given $400 million compared to the women who were given $30 million. And that seems like a huge gap, $400 million to $30 million. But then when you look at how much money they brought in, the women brought in the last World Cup, not this most recent one, because all the numbers aren't in from that one. The last World Cup, they brought in 73 million. The women made $30 million off of 73 million that the World Cup for women brought in. That's a pretty big percentage. Compared to the men, 
The men made 400 million, but they brought in four billion dollars. 400 billion. They made 400 million off the four billion they brought in. The women made 30 million off of the 70. $3 million that they brought in. That's a much different percentage. And he goes on to make the point that if we were talking about being fair and equal pay, regardless of gender, then the women should actually be getting a lower percentage of what they're bringing in because they are getting paid more on a percentage basis. Now, why are we talking about this on a podcast about how to make you successful? How to make you see, like, what does this have to do with your business, with your startup, with your finances, with your personal family lives? What does this have to do with it? Well, it's simply this. This is a great topic to reiterate the importance of you not being swept away, of me not being swept away by just the narrative of the day that to be successful, to get to the facts, that we are going to have to do our own research, just like Matt did, to dive into exactly what is going on. There could be a number of things going on, but even just talking about it from a value perspective of the women don't bring in as much, for whatever reason, to the World Cup as the men do. And I could just hear people saying, well, that's because the world is sexist. And like, no, like even in the article, the men that were under 14, the U, I think it was the U.S. under 14 team beat the women, the women, the, the ones who just won the World Cup. They beat that team. The 14-year-old boys beat the women's team. Like the skill level is not the same. And one of the reasons that sports is so great is because you want to see the best of the best compete. It doesn't even really matter if it's women or men. It's you want to see the best because the whole point is to find out who the best is. And you do that through these competitive sports. Anyways, what I'm saying is, is he went and he looked at the context. He understood the facts of the case, quote unquote, the case study would be in a business term. And he was able to determine that the narrative wasn't correct. And what advantage does it give us when we are able to identify the truth and the falsehoods in a narrative? Well, it gives us a ton of an advantage. It gives us a huge advantage because we are able to make decisions based on what is actually true versus what is just purported to be true. And when we are making decisions based on more truth than what other people have, that's where the advantage comes in because you're gonna be making better decisions. You're gonna be making decisions that give you a better ROI, that give you a sustained competitive advantage. And you're gonna be able to differentiate from your competitors from other people, from other applicants, if you're trying to get a promotion, because you have the facts. And so I want to just encourage you, and a lot of you already know this, that you should not just go with the narrative, but you need to do some research and look at the underlying facts. Don't just look at the headline, read the article. I get, you know, don't just look at the example, but really dive into all of the details and you are going to have an advantage over the other people that just get swept away with the narrative. The next thing I wanted to talk about 
And I bring this up because it is another good lesson for us that's gonna be applicable we'll get to in a minute, so stay tuned. I moved here and there's, you know, one of the great things about moving from state to state is every state has their own characteristics. And Florida is a wonderful state, I love it. Have a great time here, I really enjoy it. Can't find many things I don't like about Florida just yet. I'm just waiting for the first tornado to come by. But um, and oh, also we found our first like 36 inch long snake on our property, which from California to Hawaii, where they don't even have snakes, and then coming to a place where hey, oh, it's just common. There's a 36 inch snake just slithering by your driveway. That's a big shock to a guy like me. Can't wait for my guns to get here. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. But one of the things that California has is these personal chef guys that go around and they cater to parties. And there's this one little niche that does really well in California and they don't have them here in Florida. I was talking with my neighbor about it and we decided that we're going to start a business doing that niche for personal chefs for parties. And you'd be like, what? You just moved there and you're already starting a business with a neighbor? Hey, that's what you do as a serial entrepreneur, right? You just go around and you just find a need, you find somewhere where you think you can create value and you can make a profit and you just start something up. And what better way to get to know a neighbor than by starting a business with them? Now you might be like, that's a little crazy starting a business with somebody you barely know. And yeah, it's probably right, but it doesn't cost a lot of money. I think it's gonna cost a couple thousand bucks to do a start, to start it and really just get the name out there. So there's not really much to lose. And hey, if we can strike up a great relationship through this business, it's gonna be great. And there might be some other benefits down the line. It'll, be remain, it'll remain to be seen. But I bring this up because we're doing a personal chef business, not a catering business. Because in the state of Florida, as it takes time to do the research and things like that, as I was researching it, it requires more certifications, training, classes, time to understand food safety, and a whole bunch of other things that you don't need to do if you have a personal chef. Now you might be asking, I'm not in the food business, what's the difference between catering and a personal chef? Mainly this one thing, that a personal chef will go to the party, the customer, and cook there or cook for the individual, if whatever it is, if it's a small party, if it's just a family, if it's a person who doesn't wanna cook, a number of things. In our case, it's gonna be for small get-togethers. It's gonna be like a minimum of 30 people. Probably do like 20 bucks a head. And instead of being able to, oh, my phone's going off, I apologize. It's a life lock alert. Uh-oh, I might be getting hacked as we speak and my identity might melt before our eyes. Uh, but what I was saying is the big difference is that when you are a caterer, you can prepare food offsite and travel and bring it to the party before, and then you know either cook it there or have it already cooked and just travel and keep it hot. And a personal chef goes there, cooks it all there and leaves it there for the guest, which is a kind of a cool benefit. Like when you pay for catering, there's gonna be leftovers for you especially if it's good catering, right? And though that's the big difference between the two. And so in order to not have to go through all of those regulations, and then like, turns out, because this business is so cheap to start, like the certifications, regulations, the time to get all that stuff, would come, you'd probably come to a third or maybe even just a quarter of the cost of the whole startup. 
And beyond that, it would be a lot cheaper for us to be able to do a lot of the stuff ourselves, do the marinating, do the seasonings, and doing the prep beforehand, instead of having to just do it all on site. And so we can't charge as little as we would like because we need to get those margins. We need to have a profit, or why are we doing this business in the first place? Which means that the customer is paying more than they normally would. And this is the application of this story and why I bring it up, is this is a great example of the hidden cost of regulations. Regulations cost are not just specific to catering or to the food industry, but in every industry. And where do those costs get passed down to? It's just like taxes. They all get passed down to the customer, but the customer doesn't see it. The person that's gonna be paying for our service for 20 bucks a head didn't know that we could have done it for 15 bucks a head if we didn't want to have to go through all the, the hoops and pay all that extra money for the fees to be able to be legally allowed to carry food from point A to point B. And you may be saying, good, that's good. You should be regulated and be able be taught how to do food safety and be taught the best ways to prepare food so no one gets sick. I think that's a big issue. But let me push back in this way. If there were no regulations, what incentive is there for me to make sure that I am keeping the food as safe as possible, making sure that no one gets sick? What is the advantage of doing that? We get to stay in business. We get word of mouth referrals. There is already more than enough incentive for me as a catering slash personal chef business to make sure that my customers stay happy and healthy and don't get sick from the food. Because one of the best ways to grow your business is from word of mouth referrals. It's free. It's very powerful and effective and no one's going to use you once it gets around town that you are making people sick all the time. In fact, even if people think that they got sick from you and it's not even true, can be the end of your business. You get those bad reviews online and no one wants to hire you anymore. The regulations, the certifications, all the permits and those things are not going to protect you. I mean, they might help like train some people that don't have any experience and discourage them from getting in and you know, maybe it'll keep those businesses that are just poorly run from food poisoning somebody. But even if you think about it, the companies, the restaurants that have to go through those certifications, there's no way around it because they're like a restaurant you go in and you eat there, people still get sick of those. And nasty things still happen in restaurants. I grew up when I was younger, one of my first jobs was as a server. And oh man, do I have stories about that. All had certifications, all went through the correct classes, all were regulated by the state, all had the people come in and measure the temperature of the refrigerators. But the incentive is still the same for every restaurant, every caterer, every personal chef, is they want their customers to be happy and healthy. And having them go through these regulations is only going to drive up costs. 
because there is a huge incentive to keep people healthy already. And these costs of permits, of added food costs and added time are all costs to get passed on to the end user, the customer, just like taxes. When businesses get taxed, the businesses don't pay the taxes, the customers pay the taxes. And that's another hidden cost. Now, I just want to emphasize that that's just one of the hidden costs from regulations. There's so many more as well. That innovation is stifled, businesses are discouraged from starting, employment isn't as prevalent in areas with higher regulations because not as many companies are gonna get started. There's tons of hidden costs that regulations have hidden underneath them. And although it does seem like a good idea, like we should regulate who gets to serve people food, we should be making sure that they're high and they're upholding the standard, like that sounds good because you don't see the costs. And the people don't, it, it, and the regulations don't always protect people from um, what they claim they're protecting people from. It turns into just a generate a fee generation, a way to make money for the state, the board, the government, whatever, whoever is overseeing those permits. So regulations have a lot of hidden costs that discourage business and look into the facts. Don't just go with the status quo. Now let's take those two things and let's go out and be successful. We'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless.